0: Hi everyone. Uh, The reading today is from Colossians, chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 23, and that's on page 1182. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven This is the gospel that you have heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant.
1: Well, good morning everyone, my name is Ben. If we haven't met, uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and as we begin, let me pray. Father, in the past you spoke to your people through the prophets, but in these last days, last times, you have spoken to us through your Son. Father, please would you speak to us now through him, for we pray in his precious name. Amen. Well, I hope you all had a fantastic uh, New Year's, Um, hope you had a fantastic New Year's Eve, and uh, for those of you who are workers, that you've had a restful time off, away from work, Um, and I hope that you haven't um, broken too many uh, new, Year's Eve resolu- new Year's resolutions already, I'd, I'm not going to get you to put up your hands um, if you have, but um, as we start the year at, at church on Sunday and as we start a new series, I thought what I'd do is we'd ask the question, who is Jesus, thought we'd take a fresh look again at who he really is. Um, one of the most ridiculous uh, set of opinions uh, about who Jesus is is from the movie talladega nights i don't know if you've uh seen it. it's a bit it's a bit ridiculous uh it's about a racing uh, car driver called ricky bobby and uh over, over saying grace with uh with one of his friends and his family um they come up with some pretty interesting uh, opinions about who jesus is so let's check it out dear tiny infant jesus we... hey um you know sweetie jesus did grow up you don't always have to call him baby it's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby
0: well, look i like the christmas jesus best and i'm saying grace When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's
1: wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. All right. Now, of course, there's some ridiculous opinions about who Jesus is, uh, but again, they invite the question: What about you? Um, who do you say that Jesus is? Well, there's probably uh, no better way, in my opinion, to get the big picture of who Jesus is, if you like, the universe-sized picture of who Jesus is, from one of my favorite passages, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. So that's, that's what we're looking at today. If you um, have a Bible in front of you, if you've lost the page, it's on page 1182, I'll be speaking from that, um, because above all, this passage, passage teaches us that Jesus is Lord of all. Uh, in particular, he is Lord of all creation, and he is Lord of all salvation. Uh, so if you're taking notes, um, they're going to be our two headings. Jesus is Lord of all creation, and he is Lord of all salvation. Uh, so let's get into it. First, Jesus is Lord of all creation. If you were living uh, in medieval Europe, um, and if you just so happen to want to become a Lord, how would you go about becoming a Lord, like a king? Uh, well, maybe you could become a Lord through inheritance, Um, or you could become a lord through creating a kingdom or or lands for yourself, uh, through conquest. And in both cases, if you wanted to stay a lord, you would have to sustain your rule over your lands. Well, in much the same way, Jesus is lord over all creation, uh, because according to the Apostle Paul in this passage, he inherits all, and he created all, and he sustains all. So let's look at each of those in turn. Uh, Come with me to verse 15. The Apostle Paul says this The Son, that's Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Uh, Now, the word that Paul uses for image um, is actually the Greek word icon. Um, We might say, for example, um, that the Opera House is an icon uh, of Sydney, by which we mean it kind of represents, it sort of sums up, you know, a lot of the harbour-side lifestyle um, of Sydney siders It's iconic, uh, same as the Harbour Bridge. And uh, so I think in, the, in one sense, this is true of Jesus. He sort of represents uh, God to the world. But I think more than that, um, in the ancient world, people made images uh, or icons uh, of the gods, particularly statues Uh, And the people believed that um, the God was somehow spiritually present uh, in that statue. And I think that's um, what Paul mainly means here when he uses the word image or icon. Jesus doesn't just represent God on earth, uh, it's in Jesus that God comes to dwell on earth. Uh, If you like, Jesus makes visible the invisible God. That's very profound. It's like what Jesus says to uh, uh, Philip in John chapter 14. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And as the Apostle Paul puts it in verse 19, he says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. It's incredible. But Paul continues uh, in verse 15, uh, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, I just want to say, uh, Paul's not saying that Jesus is the firstborn in creation. Um, In other words, um, he is not a creature. No, Paul is saying he's the firstborn over creation. Um, Because we read in verse 17 very clearly that the Son is before all things. That means before the universe existed. Um, Jesus existed. And that's amazing. So what does the firstborn uh, term mean? Uh, Well, in the ancient world, the firstborn was the one who had inherited the father's estate when the father died. Um, In some traditions, uh, the firstborn son got a double portion of what the other sons got. So what does that mean for Jesus? Well, um, of course, God the Father can never die. um, But that doesn't mean that uh, Jesus never inherits uh, everything. No, it turns out that the Son inherits everything now um, because the Father shares lordship over all creation with the Son. Uh, that's why we see in the book of Revelation that both the Father and the Son are seated upon the heavenly throne. So Jesus is Lord of all because he inherits all as the Son of God. But not only that, he's Lord of all creation because he created all things. Come with me to verse 16. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Uh, and what this means is that everything was created in jesus now it's not clear exactly what this phrase in jesus means um, but i think at the very least it means that everything was created in jesus more intimately than a baby is gestated in a mother's womb it means that jesus is infinitely bigger than all creation Uh, When I was a child, I um, used to love playing in the garden and I delighted when I found a lady beetle Um, and I'd go up, maybe it was on a leaf, I'd go up and it'd crawl onto the palm of my hand and I'd just look at it in wonder. Metaphorically speaking, Jesus holds the whole universe in the palm of his hand and I imagine him looking down upon it with delight and wonder. All things were created in Jesus. Look at the end of verse 16. It says, All things were created through Jesus. Uh, in other words, Jesus is the agent of creation. Uh, if you own an investment property, uh, maybe you use a real estate agent uh, to deal with the tenants on your behalf. You might say, You deal with the tenants through your agent." So I think that's a sense that Paul means when God created through the Son... Um, but you might say it goes a bit deeper than that Um, because when God created the world he spoke didn't he you know he said let there be light Uh, he says let there be land let the heavens and the and the seas separate and so forth I think it's hard to get our head around this but the word that God spoke at creation was the pre-incarnate son in other words the son was the word through which God made all things by the power of the spirit That just blows my mind. Finally, at the end of verse 16, Paul says, all things were created for Jesus. And that means the purpose for all creation, the goal of all creation, is Jesus. In the ancient world, the greatest gift a father could give his son was a beautiful bride. And in the same way, creation is a gift, It is a gift to us, uh, but first and foremost, creation is a gift from the Father to the Son whom He loves. If you were uh, to get an expensive gift, maybe you did get a very expensive uh, gift this Christmas. Maybe, you know, let's say you got an iPad Pro, um, in which case, congratulations. um, Come and let me know which friend gave that to you, or maybe I'll become friends with them. It's very generous of them. Um, If you were given this gift It's now yours, right? You can do with it, whatever you like. Um, In the same way, Jesus has every right to rule over creation because it's given to him, it's all for him. He is Lord of all because all things were made in him and through him and for him. And finally, um, he is Lord of all because he sustains all. Have a look with me uh, at the end of verse 17. It says, in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. All that modern science has discovered, and more, right? All the laws of physics, all the laws of chemistry and biology and so on, they all hold together in Jesus because he wants it to be so. Jesus didn't just, you know, hurl the galaxies into space and then go away and forget about them. No, he keeps the planets and the stars all spinning um, in their galactic orbits. Reminds me um, of a pro basketballer spinning um, the ball with just one finger. You see, Jesus does all this with ease. As we read in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you think about this, this is just absolutely incredible. (laughs) Jesus merely speaks, and the sun rises over Manly Beach, and it marches across the sky and sets over Sydney Harbour, day by day by day. Jesus merely speaks and the clouds roll in and the thunder roars and the waves crash on the rocks next to Shelley Beach. Jesus merely speaks and across the world the flowers bloom and the leaves fall and the great herds migrate and the eagles soar And the lions hunt and the dolphins play and the whales call to one another in the deep. Jesus merely speaks and every single person on this planet goes about their lives, working and playing, weeping and rejoicing, loving and being loved. And for the most part, they have no clue. They have no idea that Jesus is the one who gives us all life and breath and everything else. That breath that you just drew, you probably didn't even notice, but that breath that you just drew is only because Jesus continues to speak. He continues to sustain your very life by his powerful word. And if that's all true, I just want to pause here and ask you again, who do you say Jesus is? Do you like to think of Jesus as just a carpenter from Nazareth? Do you like to think of Jesus as just a great teacher, great just a great prophet, just a great example who shows us how to love? Or do you say that Jesus is more than all these things? Because according to the Apostle Paul, Jesus inherits all things. He created all things. He sustains all things. And that means that he is Lord of all creation. And if you believe that, then I want to ask another question. Is he Lord of all of your life? When I was uh, 21, I became a Christian. So that was a few years ago now. I was at a musical, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. It's, not, it's, a, it's a great, <laughs> like really fun songs. It's not the best theology, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. Um, but as I was watching it, something didn't make sense because up until that point, I just thought of Jesus as a great teacher, a great prophet. But then it suddenly dawned on me, why would this great man, this great teacher, this wise person, why would he deliberately allow himself to be killed? It didn't make sense. Right? His revolution hadn't finished <laughs> Right, he still had work to do. Why would he allow himself to deliberately die? <clears throat> and as that thought struck my heart, really, I was suddenly filled with this sense of joy and this sense of peace. As, uh, as, as John Wesley once put it, he, my heart was strangely warmed. <laughs> and I went home that night and I got out my old Bible, which I got from uh, my, when I was confirmed, And um, I read Mark's gospel, and my heart really set upon Mark 10.45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom, He died to buy us, to buy us back for God. And I just suddenly realized, wow. And again, I was filled with this joy from the top of my head, flowed all the way through my body. And out of nowhere, I just prayed, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it was one of the most amazing, delightful days of my life. And so I, um, shortly after that, I started going to church and I started to call myself a Christian. But it was about a year into that when I suddenly realized something. I was at a conference in January 2001 and the preacher there was just spot on. He was, he was talking about counting the cost of following Jesus. He said, following Jesus is costly. He said, yes, there are some things you will have to give up. But he said, gosh, he is worth it. And um, that was the night that I realized that up until then, I was just treating Jesus as just my Savior. Um, I dare say I was using Jesus as just a ticket in my back pocket to get into heaven. You know, I was, I was, maybe I was using Jesus as my dispenser of spiritual warm and fuzzies, right? He was just my saviour up until that point, but he wasn't my Lord. And so that night, under the power of the Holy Spirit, I decided to fully give my life to the Lord. I decided that there was nothing he cannot ask of me. I decided that there was nowhere he could not call me to go. And so following Jesus has meant many things uh, for me, Uh, The first things that happened were that I stopped swearing. You know, I started to take passages in the Bible seriously. Um, It it meant that I decided I'm I'm not going to sleep with someone uh, until I'm married to them, and lots of other things that I found hard to accept, which our culture doesn't like. Uh, And for me as well, um, following Jesus meant that I would eventually give up my job um, as a lawyer and go into full-time ministry. Now, of course, you know, wherever God calls us, that's going to look differently uh, for different people. And I think, you know, I'm going to be honest, There are still lots of ways uh, in which I need to grow and, and continue to give my life fully to the Lord. But this is my question to you. Have you done this? Have you given your life fully to Jesus, who is Lord of all? Here are some questions you might like to ask. Are there areas of your life where you won't accept his lordship, right? They're off limits to him. You just won't let him in. Put it another way. Are there passages in the Bible that you just don't like, right? If you're honest, they're as clear as day, but you bend over backwards to explain them away and you convince yourself they don't apply to you. If that's you, perhaps you might like to pray about this. Maybe after the service. Or perhaps you might like to talk about this with a close Christian friend who you give permission to, to be honest with you. The Dutch uh, theologian Abraham Kuyper, he once said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ does not cry, mine. And that's point one. Jesus is Lord of all creation, which means he's Lord of every aspect of our life. But if we're honest, we don't always live like he's Lord of all. So thankfully, that brings us to point two, Lord of all salvation. All across the world and all across time, people have resisted God's rule as Lord over all. And of course, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Um, In in Genesis chapter 2, God commanded Adam and Eve, he said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. By the way, this is a command. I don't, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. He's like, hey guys, just go and have fun, enjoy anything in this beautiful garden, this beautiful creation that I've given you. Um, you know, Fill the earth and subdue it. And they're like, yes, we like all those commands. We're going to obey those wholeheartedly. But then God added this command. He says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve didn't like that command. So they disobeyed it because they wanted to be their own lords and masters. But the thing about God is, for our good, he doesn't accept rival commands to his lordship, rival claims, I should say, to his lordship. And so God God cast Adam and Eve out of his presence in the garden, and the whole world was cursed as a result. What does this story teach us? It teaches us many things, but what stands out for me most is this. If God isn't Lord of all, then he's not your Lord at all. Think about it. If you only obey the commands that you'd like, then God isn't your Lord. He's just giving you suggestions, right? It just means you're still in charge if you, accept, if you pick and choose what commands that you like. It means you're still Lord of your life. And that creates a huge problem because have a look with me at verse 21. Paul says, "Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. When people reject God as Lord over all, God says they're actually setting we're we're setting ourselves up as God's enemies, right? And that is a bad idea. If God is King over all, like any king, God counts rebellion against him as something to be punished." God is merciful he will not tolerate it forever however and that's the bad news but here's the good news verse 22 but now Jesus or rather but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death here's what this means the eternal son of god the one who is lord over all creation he actually came into our creation in a physical, fragile body as a baby. And this baby grew up and he lived a holy, perfect life and he was perfectly obedient to the Father. He was obedient even unto death, death on a cross, which is the most awful, gruesome way for anyone to die. Do you know what amazes me the most when I think about Colossians 1 and I think about the cross... As the soldiers pierced his hands and his feet, as the soldier drove the spear into his side, as those around him mocked him, and as the religious leaders breathed out insults against him, it was Jesus as God sustaining their very breath and giving them the strength to pierce him. I think it's incredible. Jesus could have said, Cease. And they all would have slumped to the ground like lifeless puppets. And yet he didn't. As man, he stayed there. And as man, he died for us. Why did he do it? Verse 22. Christ died to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. In other words, when we put our trust in Jesus... God counts his perfect life as though it were our perfect life. God counts his obedient death as though it was our just death to pay the price our sins deserve. You see, Jesus died to make us acceptable to God. And when you see that, like when that really strikes your heart, when you see him giving up his all for you, does that not make you want to give up your all for him? doesn't that convince you that he is trustworthy to be Lord of every aspect of your life? One of my favorite movies, The Usual Suspects, there's a great line in it that goes like this. It says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. I don't think that's true. I think the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world that our God is cruel, that he's tyrannical, that he gives us commands to be a killjoy. And I think we've bought the lie of the serpent that what God commands is not for our good. Dear friends, God is not an oppressive Lord. How can He be? See what He sacrificed for you. A tyrant does not do that for the people that He loves. God wants your eternal joy. And He loves you. He absolutely loves you. And He only ever wants what's for your good. He knows what will make you flourish. He made you. And that's why he gives you commands. That's why he wants you, wants to be Lord of all in your life. So let me conclude. For those who don't know Jesus here today, let me encourage you. Why not make it your New Year's resolution to find out more about him? As Bruce mentioned, we have a course coming up which um, Andrew Wilson just down the front he will be leading uh, called Christianity Explored and it starts on the 24th of February. Uh, Maybe you might like to sign up uh, for that by filling in one of the Connect cards and putting that in the offertory bag as it comes around in just a moment. But if you can't wait that long, let me encourage you this very day, right, if God is calling you today, why don't you come forward, pray with me, pray with one um, of the the after-service prayer team people. Because Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What a Lord. He is gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you might be afraid to accept Jesus into your life because there are things in your life you don't want to give up. I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat this. Yes, there are things that you might have to give up. But gosh, he's worth it. I've been a Christian now for 17 years and I don't regret it for a single day. It's the best decision I've ever made. I can tell you in all honesty, there is not a single thing I've had to give up that I now regret. For those of you who already trust in Jesus, let me end where Paul ends in verse 23. Continue in your faith. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep hearing his voice. Keep going wherever he calls you. Keep obeying whatever he calls you to obey, whatever the cost. Continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Why don't we pray? Father, help us to love and trust and obey Jesus as Lord over all, whatever he commands us and wherever he calls us. Amen.